On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we hear from a triumvirate of voiceover professionals. Diane Pershing, the voice of Poison Ivy on Batman the Animated Series. Marty Grabstein, the voice of Courage the Cowardly Dog. And Noel McNeil from Bear in the Big Blue House all share their experiences and tips for a career in the recording booth. Plus, we take a look at nerd holidays. Huh? Now, straight from the Eternal Youth Spa just outside Gotham City, it's so soothing you may never leave. This is 1.21 Gigawatts. Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 28 for May 2018. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. Happy Star Wars Day! Okay, so maybe I'm about a month late on that one. Or am I just a few days late? I'll explain. May the 4th is the nerd holiday recognized by everyone you know on Facebook who loves a good play on words. May the 4th be with you. Though it is now embraced by Lucasfilm, Disney, Star Wars licensees, and everyone who knows that calling someone a scruffy looking nerf herder is a sick burn, it was not originally created by any official source. Legend has it that the catchphrase, May the 4th be with you, was first used in the London Evening News on May 4th, 1979, in the UK, when the Conservative Party congratulated Margaret Thatcher on her first day as Prime Minister. And now it's the catchphrase that launched a thousand memes. But there is definitely an old-school Star Wars contingent that cares not for your artificial lisp, may the fourth be with you slogans. This school of thought believes that any Star Wars day should be celebrated on May 25th. Why? Because that's the day that the original Star Wars was theatrically released and blew every kid's mind with visions of endlessly long Star Destroyers and hovering land speeders, and blew every movie executive's mind with the promise of unlimited blockbuster potential. The fact that Return of the Jedi and now Solo, a Star Wars story, have also been released on May 25th helps cement the case for this alternative observation for Star Wars Day. Will this ever be resolved? I feel the conflict within you. The point is that nerd holidays can be gloriously subjective. Although Star Wars Day is probably the nerd holiday most likely to be recognized by banks and the post office, or at least get a commemorative stamp from the post office, there are plenty of other geek-tastic dates that deserve their own shout-out. Let's talk about them. The next one on the calendar, interestingly, is another Star Wars-related holiday. It's May 5th, also known as Revenge of the Fifth, which of course is a play on the title of Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. This, of course, ignores the obviously better-suited potential holiday one day later, Revenge of the Sixth. Come on, Sith, Sixth. It flows so much better, you guys. Come on, what are we doing here? Either way, you get a long Star Wars holiday weekend, so what do you care? Come on. April 5th is first contact date. You know, that's the date that Earthlings first successfully achieved warp drive and then almost immediately met Vulcan emissaries for the first time as if it was the triumphant conclusion of a movie. Because it was! Star Trek First Contact. It's really good, you guys. Of course, this date is yet to happen in 2063, so 
Only 16,474 shopping days until first contact day. April 26th is Alien Day, a reference to LV-426, get it, which is the alien moon featured in Alien and Aliens, which happens to feature a derelict spacecraft full of these strange little egg cylinders. Hey, something's moving around in there. Ooh, it's opening up. Maybe if I just stick my face above it, I can get a good look. Ah, it's got me! Get it off! Get it off! You get the idea. On August 29th, we celebrate Judgment Day. Hooray! That, of course, is the day that, despite the best efforts of Sarah and John Connor and their Terminator pals, Skynet achieves self-awareness and quickly decides to take out that pesky human race via nuclear holocaust. Don't forget your sunscreen, everyone. In the movies, this happened in 1997. In reality, any day now. You can't have a podcast called 1.21 Gigawatts and not mention Back to the Future Day, which falls on October 21st. 2015, specifically, that's the date that Marty McFly travels to in the future in Back to the Future Part 2 to save his family from ruin. When this finally arrived two and a half years ago, you'll recall that we all celebrated by hoverboarding to our local Cineplex to watch Jaws 19 while wearing two neckties simultaneously. Now, I could list nerd holidays all day. For example, we celebrate Independence Day, the holiday, because of Independence Day, the movie. Everyone knows that. And I'm sure there are loads of in-universe Doctor Who holidays, since that show is nothing but timelines. But I think it's appropriate to wrap things up by recognizing another Star Wars holiday. That would be Life Day, a Wookiee holiday celebrating the diversity of nature on Kashyyyk, and also to honor and remember relatives that have passed away and also to celebrate young family members. And sometimes, apparently, it's used as a synonym for birthday. It has a lot of meanings. It's like the aloha of Wookiee holidays. Despite the whole long time ago in a galaxy far, far away thing, this holiday falls on a very specific date on Earth calendars, November 17th, which is the date that us simple Earth folk were given the opportunity, for one night only, ever to watch the infamous Star Wars Holiday Special. You know, I'm not sure I really did the Life Day description justice, so I'm going to turn that job over to Princess Leia, who will get the final word in song. Happy Life Day, everyone, and may the nerd holidays be with you. Every year, new crops of actors take their first steps towards working as a voiceover actor in animation, film, and commercials. It's a challenging road with not a lot of straight paths to success. If you were giving voiceover a go, you'd probably want to get some advice from a group of actors who have made their mark in voiceover and have lived to tell the tale. I got the chance to have that exact conversation, bet you didn't see that plot twist coming, at the Garden State Comic Fest Atlantic City Edition in April. I hope you enjoy this panel discussion with Diane Pershing, the voice of Poison Ivy on Batman the Animated Series, Marty Grabstein, the voice of Courage the Cowardly Dog on Cartoon Network, and Noel McNeil, the voice and performer of Bear from Bear in the Big Blue House. My name is Brad Barton. I'm the host of the 1.21 Gigawatts podcast. 
Uh, and uh, welcome to a very special panel on voiceover acting and performance. Um, I'm very excited to guide us through the next hour as we hear from uh, three fantastic uh, voiceover and performance veterans that without further ado, we're going to welcome to the stage at this time. First of all is a man who spent four seasons as the star of the Cartoon Network cult slash horror slash comedy animated series, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Please welcome Marty Grabstein. Oh yeah. Keep it coming, keep it coming for the man. No, well, we're going to bring up some more friends is what we're going to do. We're going to do it right now. Absolutely. We're also joined by the woman who voiced Spinnerella from She-Ra, Princess of Power, Dale Arden from two different Flash Gordon animated series. I'm missing so many credits, but we're going to focus, of course, also on Poison Ivy from a whole slew of DC shows, including Batman the Animated Series. Please welcome Diane Pershing. Yes. Oh, good, you brought my bag. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. She's from the West Coast. She's not ready for this ridiculous, snow, like, every weekly snowstorm that we have, so we're going to be nice. Um, and, uh, oh, my gosh, someone who's swooping in from nowhere. We're very excited to join him uh, to our panel. You know him from Bear in the Big Blue House, from Sesame Street, from 1,000 various credits. It's Nolan McNeil. Let's hear it. Oh, yeah. Uh, hi guys. Hi. Hello. I'd, I'd like are, we to... are we on? We yeah. Are we on? Yeah. Are we in? Is it... Yeah. <laughs> the tradition of banging on microphones, <laughs> blowing yes. into them, letting yes. the AV people say, "Don't do that. We're on." Oh We're quizzing. Uh, I'd like to begin by talking to you guys about your experiences and careers and the projects you've been a part of, of course, uh, and then and certainly your your tricks of the voiceover trade. <laughs> Um, and then we'll open up the floor to uh, questions from the audience. Um, I actually have a question for uh, members of the audience to get started because technically this is a, a panel that somewhat focuses on um, how to get into voiceover and tricks of the trade of voiceover. Do we have, uh, how many of you are performers or have aspirations of performing, whether as voiceover artist or in some other capacity? All right, cool, excellent, one. All right. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here, and we're going to convince the rest of you to join us in this trade. No, actually, end. we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Diane, not yet. No truth serum yet. Diane. This is the intervention you weren't told about. <laughs> um, Diane, I want to begin with you, actually. Um, can you tell us about your early days as a performer, how you found yourself in the world of voiceover beginning in... Goodness, the 70s, late 70s? Oh, yeah. There. Oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> I actually, um, I've been, I looked in the mirror when I was five, and I said, I'm going to be an actor, and that's what I did, which is kind of nice. And I also got my first professional job as a backup singer, um, and I toured the country and did all kinds of singing gigs. And then someone heard me speak in, my, in, an, in an office once and said, hi, have you ever thought of doing voiceovers? And I said, what's that? And they said, go home, listen to the radio, listen to TV, watch TV, listen to the voices. Do you think you can do that? I said, sure. And I came back the next day and I got a job right away and I haven't stopped. And I'm just one of the lucky ones that broke in at a time when there weren't that many women who were doing 
announcing kind of things, narrations, stuff like that. And then I got into the character voices and then I just, that's it. I'm, so I have a, one of those, yeah, I was in the right place at the right time. I love those stories, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> They're amazing and rare, absolutely, rare, for sure. Very rare, yeah. I'm when, very lucky. When lightning strikes, that's tough yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I know that you were a very busy lady in the 80s since not only were you working pretty regularly in voiceover, but you were also writing for The Love Boat, right? I wrote for That must for have the been love, exciting, I, yeah, exciting I and new, I wrote for TV. I wrote for The Love Boat, but then I also... Yes. ...became a romance novelist. Ooh. And I sold 19 books and they published. So... The thing is about voiceovers, and I'm sure these gentlemen will tell you the same thing, there's a lot of downtime. Auditions take five minutes. Hmm. The job might take an hour or two, and you've got the rest of the day. And if you have a brain or something that you want to utilize, <laughs> you start writing. And that's what happened for me, yeah. Um, can you tell us the names of some of those novels? Oh, well, sure, I mean, Heartquake, <coughs> Um, yes. Let me see, what else? Um, um, no, the, oh gosh, I, The Tough Guy and the Toddler. Whoa, that book was illegal in 17 states. <laughs> One Hot Lawman. Come on. These are definitely Hello. not Hallmark movies. No, 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 these were not Hallmark movies. These are kind of, shall we say, steamy. Yes. <laughs> the temperature rises in the New Orleans ballroom. And I'm feeling the steam right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marty, let's, uh, let's talk about your early days in performance. My early days. Yeah, I know that you were a sketch comedy guy in the mid to late 90s yes. in a group called Lab Rats, right? Yes, it was. Were you? Oh, they gave you that information? No, I do my research. I, uh, I know you, this. Man. I actually know this because uh, Johnny Fido from Blue Collar Guys says hello. Johnny Fido! Wait, is that not the ridiculous thing to say? In, no, in, he's a great guy. But <laughs> in, in Atlantic City, does that sound like ominous? Like, Johnny Fido hopes hey. you have a very pleasant <laughs> time in Atlantic yeah, City. Yeah. Hey, come on, you got a problem. Hey, from Blue Collar know? Guys. But I remember hey. Johnny Fido, a great guy, yeah. So yes, um, yes, yeah. So the question is exactly. So, yeah. So tell me, tell me about the early days. You're doing sketch, but you've been on camera. You've been uh, voiceover. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Uh, okay. So let me just. Uh, yeah. I mean, I also, when I was five years old, said I wanted to be an actor, and so it it started. You know, um, and and so yes, I never stopped. But I did often stop getting paid for it, <laughs> just so you know that. I just want to make that clear. I don't want to create the illusion that I'm always making money doing this stuff. Uh, you know, and here's the thing. I'm saying this not to just be self-deprecating. I'm not sure what the question is anymore. But just uh, the idea be, it doesn't matter anyway, yeah. right? No. Does that matter to anybody what the question is? No. You turn up, Does you anybody open remember up the what the question is? <laughs> you anyway. open up the refrigerator, the light goes on, the man does 20 minutes. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, yes, I did, you know, as far as those early days, bouncing around before I decided to get together with a really very talented writer and comedian, and we put together our common talents, and we did sketch comedy for nearly 10 years. Uh, around New York, we mounted an off-off-Broadway show, which got nice reviews, um, and we were just always performing. The point is, is that we made no money off of it at all. But ultimately, it jump-started numerous other things. Me being able to act in um, some of the TV shows that I've been able to, God bless, get paid for. Uh, some of the Law & Order TV shows, some independent films. Uh, 
other things that the, the name is, names are eluding me, but generally speaking, the idea of just staying in it for something you love is the most important part of the entire, you know, shenanigans when you choose this kind of a life. But uh, certainly Courage the Cowardly Dog was a fun, um, you know, acquisition for me. I guess you want to know how that happened, right? I'd, I'd, I'd love to. It was such a deeply odd animated deeply series. Deeply oddly animated <laughs> you, thing. You know when, when the first episode of a series begins with a psycho parody that includes like a random high-stakes handball match with a cat that sounds like James Mason. You know, I, all in one breath. You're welcome. Very nice. You, you know you're in for amazing, something unique. By the way. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so many beheadings for a show rated Y7. Um, that, that's right. Yeah. How, how did you get involved with so Courage? So what happened with that, another example of staying in, if I do nothing else with this panel, it's to create, <laughs> again, push the issue that whatever it is you want to do, stay in because there's something beautiful just around the corner. Right? Exactly. Right? Yep. Yes. But anyway, the idea. Yeah. But anyway, so here's what happened. Really, basically, a friend of mine who knew that I, somehow, I hadn't spoken to her for eight years. She just pretty much thought of me, called me up. I haven't spoken to you in a long time. Uh, I see that you're still in the industry because I, I've seen that you're doing this comedy thing around town. So I thought of you. Oh, he's still in the industry. Maybe you come in and do this audition. Um, because this guy, John Dilworth, an absolute madman, by the way, the creative courage of Cowardly Dog, he wouldn't mind if I said that anyway. He would love if I said that. Anyway, and um, he's been actually, they've listened to every voiceover artist in the, country, in the city, rather over 300 voices, the best, you know, the cream of the crop. They couldn't find the voice of courage. So he said, maybe you come in. She said, maybe, uh, who knows, it couldn't hurt. I come in and literally within two minutes, this guy's saying, this is the guy. This is the voice. This is the guy. Yeah. The only thing is we want to pitch it up. You hear this scratchy voice I got going on here? <laughs> so they, they, they decided to go, you got to go up here and do the scratching. So the combinate, they basically chose Courage and the Cartoon Network went along with it. And they said, this guy has the great voice for Courage, but you got to put it up in an unnatural register for it to work. So that unnatural register combined with my natural voice is what got the job. Very strange, but kind of a sort of an inspiring story in its Yay. own right, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Uh, fun fact, fun fact, Marty's mic isn't even on. It isn't? <laughs> no, 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 of course it is. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. So, Noel, they've both told us stories of how, uh, as, as children, they looked in the mirror. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, that they both looked in the mirror, decided they were going to be uh, performers, and, and never looked back. Uh, we need a hat trick. It was the, did you have something <laughs> similar along those lines, Noel? And now for something completely different. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, I, um, when I was growing up, there was a lot more puppet shows on TV. There was, you know, there was Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop, you know, female puppeteer. They actually do exist. Uh, there was Paul Winchell. Winchell Mahoney time, who was also the voice of Tigger. Right. And did you know Paul Winchell invented the artificial heart? Yes. See? I knew that. Whoa. So you see, puppetry can save lives. <laughs> and this it was is also like, sort of a, a great backing up, Diane, your point about the downtime in, yes. in the arts when, exactly. for we, people who have brains. Exactly. Like so we're not artificial heart. you know, you can invent the artificial heart. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Right. He was 
for those heart palpitations while you're reading steamy novels. <laughs> and, like, and there was like, you know, there was like, you know, classic ones like, you know, H.R. Puffin stuff, you know, that thing. But then I remember as a kid, there was, on a Sunday night, there was this half hour show, and it was on PBS, and it was talking about this brand new show that was coming on the next day. And it was hosted by two puppets that I had never seen this kind of before. Because before that, there was like, Bill Baird puppets was like the marionettes. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, Kukla Fan and Ollie, who had like great characterization. If you want like study voice characterization with puppets, go to YouTube, click on Kukla Fan and Ollie, and just listen to Burr Tilstrom, because that man knew how to create characters from little things like Kukla, this. Kukla, K-U-K-L-A. Yes, Fan and Ollie. It was like great, it was, it was awesome. But then these puppets, one had a, the head of a, like a football, the other had a head of a banana, and they were named Ernie and Bert. And they're talking about this brand new show mm. coming on the next day called Sesame Street. And I like watched it, and Big Bird like blew me away because it was a puppet that could actually walk around. It wasn't hiding behind anything. It could actually walk around. Also, just for fun, YouTube Sesame Street episode one to see the most frightening version of Big Bird <laughs> that will give you nightmares. <laughs> And once you learn how to go to sleep, then click Snuffy's first appearance. It's worse. <laughs> but then, so then, during high school was the height of the Muppet Show, and so I thought Jim Henson was doing this, and he got all these people to do it, so maybe I could do it too. So then, that's when I decided I'm going to be a, a puppeteer. And so I ended up going to, uh, at the time, in Brooklyn, Pratt Institute had a theater department. Mm. And within the theater department was a puppetry course. And it was being taught by a man who worked and designed for the Muppets. His name was Kermit Love. And no, the frog was not named after him. It's just <laughs> one of those freaky coincidences that fate likes to play with you. But he designed and built uh, Big Bird and Snuffy. And so I ended up, instead of going back for the, my last year, being his assistant on Sesame Street, which is called a puppet wrangler. And so prepping the puppets for uh, uh, the camera. And then from there, I started puppeteering on Sesame and then went on to do other things, which I'm proud to say my resume is most people's childhood memory. Mm -hmm. But it's just the kind of thing where, you know, people always say, like, you know, I did this show called Bear in the Big Blue House. And then people say, oh, did you do the voice? It's like, Yes, <laughs> I did, <laughs> because people always say that. Like with, with Frank Oz, Frank is like always asking, like you know, Frank created Yoda. Oh, did you do the voice? And it's like <laughs> <What>? yes, <laughs> he did. Part of the gig, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like so it's like ninety nine point nine percent. The puppeteer is also doing the voice of the puppet, and it can come from anything. You just like look at the puppet, or sometimes it would just like come to you from like you know like a neighbor or your aunt or your, your uncle or just a younger version. When I did the show called The Puzzle Place, it was like a younger version of myself because we didn't want to do kitty voices. So all the puppeteers decided, we're just going to do our voices just you know, slightly an octave higher and just make it more, not only tolerable for the kids at home, but also for us because we would have to do this for three years. <laughs> so just deciding to be a puppeteer. And like Jim said, you know, puppeteers are actors. We just act from the wrist up. So that's why I wanted to become a puppeteer. <laughs> I, I love that. It's the old pitching your voice up trick. There we are. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, uh, Noel, can you tell us, uh, not, not to list off the whole resume necessarily, but, but some of the uh, puppets that you've worked on, some of the voices that we can attribute to you? Yeah, it's like, um, like the very first show I worked on while I was on Sesame was 
way back. It was called The Great Space Coaster. Oh, my Lord. And yes. <laughs> I'm going to start crying. This is my childhood. Oh. So I took over a character, John Lovelady, who was a really good puppeteer. Uh, he did this character named Knock Knock, who was the woodpecker on the show. And I, he went off to do a show called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is about a talking orangutan who gets voted to Congress. Which back then sounded ludicrous. But these days, <laughs> it would a be a sign of relief. Tale. <laughs> so he left, so I came in and I took over uh, Knock Knock for the show. So I worked on that show. I worked on um, um, Eureka's Castle. I worked on uh, The Puzzle Place, uh, Ubi, uh, Bear in the Big Little House, uh, Between the Lions. And currently, every now and then, I get to wander on to HBO's Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and get to do silly things like, yeah. you know, Jeff, the diseased lung in a cowboy hat, or the most recent incarnation, Mr. Nutterbutter, <laughs> the giant squirrel who pisses off coal miners. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Mr. Nutterbutter got a lot of press recently. He did. For sure, for sure. Um, uh, Diane, um, yes. let's come back to you. Tell me about your introduction into the world of Batman and Poison Ivy. Was that just another audition at like, where, where no, this she perked is, up? I I love that. Well, this is the whole part of the my favorite word, serendipity, that you happen to be in a place where things can happen that will make your life turn into a completely different direction, <laughs> such as I started doing voiceovers out of nowhere. I started doing romance novels out of nowhere, okay? And all of a sudden, I'm called by my agent to go into a new series that I haven't heard of called Batman. And I'm coming in for a very small role, a reporter or something like that. That's all. I walk into the studio that day, and they're not, fil they're not uh, doing the voice part yet. And Andrea Romano, who was the director, yay, of all of the Batman, uh, the, vo the voice director, came up to me and said, we have a character named Poison Ivy, and the actress who was supposed to do this, and I don't know who she was, but so sorry. She <laughs> couldn't show up for whatever reason. And would I like to audition for it? And I said, sure. And I looked at the script and I saw that she was sexy. And I kind of did a lot of sexy voices. I did a lot of cosmetic stuff, you know, like that. <laughs> and then she was intelligent, which I am. And in fact, I sound like that when I talk. So I put sexy with intelligent, and I got the part. Serendipity happened to be there, right place, right time. Never look back. Thank you, God. Hello. Okay. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I've read, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because what you're saying maybe contradicts this, but that it maybe took a little while to figure out what the character wanted to be, at least moving forward. Does that sound right? Or do you feel like you, you kind of nailed it? That right actually wouldn't be me. That would be the writers. Oh. oh. No, I'm serious. Yeah. I basically came in with that voice and was overjoyed. And it was a kind of two-dimensional character when it started. She was a, ba a villain who was sexy and intelligent. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. The writers, and they did tell me this, so I'm not being immodest, when they saw that I had range as an actor, wrote a much more complex character for me, which is why the later, the later appearances of Poison Ivy are much more nuanced, you know, much more showing other sides to her, not just her rage and her f focus on being 
taking care of all bad people who are doing terrible yep. things to plants, but also someone who yearns for a private life or yearns for a child or, or any of these things. Um, and it was a joy then. The character developed because the writers did, and they gave me a chance to shine, which I love writers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, I would agree with that for sure. And I'm sure anyone in this room who watched Batman the Animated Series, Ivy's really interesting. And, and you're never quite sure, and I mean this in a good way, never quite sure what you're going to get when, when she shows up. Um, because she was capable of so many yeah. colors. She really was. Yeah. It, it's always impressed me how often that show was willing to spend time with characters out of costume as well. Um, you know, which for a, for a kid's show is really kind of a daring move sometimes. And, and in your debut episode, of course, we see way more from Pamela Isley than, than Poison She's Ivy so proper. so bad. Yeah. Um, and almost more her. Bruce Wayne than Batman. I yeah. mean, it was almost an all-civilian yeah. episode as they figured that out. It was. Yeah. She shows up and she basically poisons, you know, Harvey Dent. And uh, with a kiss. Because he's well, Harvey doing... Harvey Dent is always getting... You know, come on. <laughs> He lives a tough life, that Harvey Dent. Never a break. Um, let's talk about, uh, about auditions. One of the most interesting things about them, uh, many of them at least, is that you've got to make some quick choices in this, and we'll talk to all three of you about this, about what you want that character to be, what, what they sound like, what their attitude is. Sometimes you get sides beforehand and can work with it. Often you're just walking in the room and handed a piece of paper. Um, would you say that this reflects your experiences as well, Marty? Let's start with you on that. Uh, okay, w w as far as having to make quick decisions? Yeah, quick decisions when it comes time to audition or, or well, like the Insta character of, of auditions. Well, 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 well I mean, if, if we're talking about the minute we walk up, yeah, let's just assume I, I don't have a si sides that I've prepared. Let's just say there's just something. You're just getting up there and you're doing something. Mm -hmm. By the way, is this on? <laughs> yes. But I was going in the red, wasn't I, right? So you had to turn it down. I understand. No, that, right? I love it. I love anyway, it. Anyway, so, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you know, stand up for the minute. All right, so suddenly you're here. And maybe there's 20 of you that are in the audition. Usually there's about two or three, sometimes four or five, you know. But ultimately you walk in and whatever it is that you're doing, the audition starts, you know, the minute I walk in. And if there's an aura of something that I could connect with, then I'm going to connect with that before I begin. And so maybe it's just, what's the energy in the room? Um, uh, you know, if the energy in the room is something like this, I might just rein my chaotic nature in a bit, as you can plainly see. With this group, I didn't need to do that. Um, but, you know, I might just kind of pull it in. I'm not going to, you know, uh, sell myself down the river for who, uh, grumpy people that are sitting in front of me, but at the same time, I might just rein it in a bit. So there, as far as the decision, we're not even talking about the character. Right. We're talking about who I am, what I'm saying, how you doing, what's going on, you know, hello. So, uh, you know, and they're saying, so can you do this? And they'll talk. In that moment, that's the audition. That The audition begins at before I even start the performance, essentially how I've reached them in some way. And then ultimately taking whatever text it is and then making a quick decision, absolutely. So my most important thing is actually being able to just simply read the words clearly, simply, what are the words? Am I getting it in a clear way? Whatever, just a simple, tiny character choice that he's got this going on and you just kind of have to go ahead and do that. 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question or not. Sure. We're talking about quick decision making. No, no. Well, that uh, certainly makes sense. I mean, you're right, especially, again, for those of you who raised your hand earlier or interested in the world of performance. Um, yeah, that's part of it. Walking in the room. Walking that's part of it. Walking in the room. That's the, where it begins. <clears throat> yeah, ab absolutely. Um, Noel, how did, uh, how, how did you find the voices for some of your characters? Not to simplify it down to saying, here's the puppet, and goes in what comes yeah. to you. Like, I know there's more to yeah. it than that. But. Sometimes that happens, like, on, on Sesame Street with, like, the, the inserts. Like, mm -hmm. not the street stuff, but the, the insert stuff that's done in, like, limbo sets, like Ernie and Bert's apartment or the couch, or just, like, a, um, like a, you know, a grocery store or something. So sometimes you just, like, hand to the puppet, and you kind of look at it like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but when I went in and auditioned to, uh, for Bear, I got uh, the sides faxed to me, those kids out there Google the word facts. Um, <laughs> and they, they sent me a picture, a drawing of what he and the other characters looked like. It's like, oh, well, this is cute. So I, I took the cab down and um, I was like looking at the sides. And then as soon as I walked in, uh, one of the Muppet producers now works for uh, Warner Brothers, uh, Peter Van Roden, he said, do your own voice. And I said, what? It's like, it's like, this is the Muppets, we don't do that. And he explained that for this character, Bear, which was gonna be a, a preschool series on Disney, that they wanted the, the lead character to have a voice that adults could sit through, as opposed to a certain purple dinosaur that you wanted to gouge your eyes out every time he opened his mouth. So <laughs> that's why, every, even during my audition, I was trying to sneak it in, but it's like, no, just, keep it to a normal voice. So at that time, um, I had friends who had kids, and so I would always be like Uncle Noel. And so the mindset was like, you know, just go in like, whatever you want to do, like, let's do it. And so for Bear, it was like kind of like that Uncle Noel mode, which was just a very, just like gentle, like very patient, just like, okay, what do you want to do? It's like, what are we going to do today? It's like, I'm here. And just kept it very normal and just very, um, just very clear. And that's when, when we did the series, it became established that the adult characters on the show had these very distinct, clear voices. Like, if you saw the show Bear, Luna, who was uh, actress Lynn Thigpen, uh, Ray, Ray the Sun, who was uh, Jeffrey Holder. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, wow. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so it was like these very clear voices. But then all the kid characters had very kind of more like uh, cartoony voices, like Tutter and like Pip and Pop. And so, it became a sort of established that the adult characters had more clear, but still very distinct voices, like my friend uh, Tyler Bunch. He was, uh, he was Pop, he was also Trilo, and he also did this character called Doc Hogg, and it was a very clear mm. adult voice, but it was a very southern voice. It was, like, it was just like, great. Tyler does great accents, he's, he's amazing. And so it just became very, very clear. So it's just that, that kind of choice, that unofficial choice of like how to do the, the character, um, the voice for the character. And so that's why there was such a great range on Bear because we weren't loud, we weren't screaming. It was like very clear, distinct voices that you could always recognize, even if you didn't look at the character or see the character. Do, do any of you feel that there were specific classes or experiences that, that helped you with being able to put on and take off at this range of characters at any given moment? I mean, I know from experience as well, that sketch comedy and improv and that sort of thing, having that kind of training in your body does wonders for the like, uh, let's try this and, and feel comfortable trying yeah. it, yeah. which is sometimes half of the battle. Yeah. yeah. But I actually, I think most of us that do voices 
either have classes or experience with improvisation and comedy uh, because we're asked to do that. Actually, we're asked to ad lib quite a bit in some of the yeah. sessions that, that we do. And obviously, if we're asked to ad lib, we need to come out with some really good stuff, not just, you know, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. I just want to ask you to ad lib. You know. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I, do, I just wanted to say all of my auditions basically are at my agent's office. Um, so I do get the stuff beforehand on an email that I take that day, or some of them I walk in and I don't know what I'm going to do. And almost all of what comes to me on the first take is my instinct. Mm. And mm. I think that's been honed for over 40 years of doing this. And I don't think about it anymore. This is what the voice sounds like. I get it in my head and then I do that. But in the beginning, no, I worked and I, my motivation and my, mm -hmm. I marked up the copy. You know, I don't do that anymore, but I think that's because I, I don't. I don't need to anymore. Right, you know, right. and I don't get the job, or I do, whatever mood they're in that day. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. I want to hear about how you all uh, preserve your tool, how you preserve your voice when you're working long, uh, long hours behind the microphone or on the set or whatever. <laughs> Putting stress in your voice for performance. How do you not damage your chords? Everyone is clearing their throats and coughing on the side. Um, and uh, Marty, we've got to start with you on this one, since a significant chunk of your performance on Courage, of course, is screaming and panicking and tightening up your throat in general. I um, got news for you. Yeah. It, it's even in my real life. It's screaming and yelling. <laughs> you know. I mean, even on this panel. <laughs> no, I mean, um, I will not. I am. I am a cautionary tale <laughs> when it comes to preserving your voice because really the only thing I do, I guess to a certain extent one could say is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? I have this, I always have had this husky kind of scratchy voice anyway and perhaps it's given me a certain amount of, well he's good for this kind of thing or that kind of thing and so I continue to do that and then ultimately the abuse that I put my voice through continues to maintain that scratchiness anyway. <laughs> so I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but or is it just a, this is a big, giant, juicy rationalization for not doing what's necessary to make sure I take care of my voice. That's what I mean by a cautionary tale. Don't do what I do, which is generally... <laughs> How about that? I'm on a panel. I'm saying, don't do it. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't do the following. Well, I generally think the only thing that helps me is rest it. When I rest it, when I find that I, and I also do Manhattan tour guiding, by oh, the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I take people on tours of Manhattan. So I'm talking and screaming in the street, <laughs> taking groups of people through the street and talking about Grand Central Terminal and this and that. So I'm screaming then. So when, I, when I've had a few days off, my voice is a little clearer and kind of nice. So rest your voice. That's the only, the only advice I can think. Gotta take I'm care the of wrong it. one. I'm sure she's going to have much better. <laughs> I, yes, this is an interesting one. My voice itself doesn't get tired, but I'll tell you what gets tired is my tongue. Oh. Yes. It, a pin dropped in the room. A pin <laughs> dropped in the room, and I don't want no kind of lascivious thoughts going through anyone's head. Uh, hold on, anyway, I'm, I'm writing a romance says, novel. I, I want to write down that title. Pink, pink elephants. Anyway, no, the muscles in the tongue help you form words. And when you have been talking for a long, long time, the muscles get tired. And you start not being able to actually pronounce your words anymore. There's a thing that goes on. So because I'm a singer, I have voice 
exercises that I can do to loosen up my things like brrrr. So you, the muscles start going brrrr. See, that's so great. So that's what I always have to watch out when I've done long na- narrations. I usually get tired after about an hour. I say, give me a minute, I go off, I do some vocalizing, I do some tongue exercises, I come back and I'm fine. That's my experience. How about yeah. you, Noah? Um, like, in general, like, it's, like, it's like a combination of like both of those, where you just like, you know, rest your voice, when you don't have to talk, just rest your voice. <laughs> Ideally, also try and find a voice that you can do over a period of time that won't destroy mm-hmm. <laughs> your vocal mm-hmm. cords. Because if you do one voice that's harmful to your vocal cords, you can't do other voices. So you gotta like, like, like walk that fine line yeah. between the two so that, you know, like, um, you know, Frank Oz, you know, created like, you know, between like Cookie Monster and like Animal, you know, he's like screaming at the top of his lungs. But Frank also knows like, you know, when to like, like with Grover or with birds, like it's a different range. So that's where he can like keep it quiet. And also learning how to, for instance, sing in that voice too. Yes. Yes. So you have to make it as comfortable as possible mm-hmm. for you while still making it unique and characterization yeah. and all that. Yeah. But don't do a voice that's gonna blow out your vocal cords because you only got one pair. <laughs> or save that voice for the end of the session or something like yes. that. I ha- right. I've done a lot of video games and I've had to do dying dragon mothers or whatever (laughs) and screaming this and all that stuff and you have to like do this so you save those things till you've done the others and then you get to wreck your voice and go home and have a shot and hope it's over (laughs) (laughs) well i uh, i want to make sure that we hear from from all of you if some of you have questions um i could talk all day i've got all kinds of questions but i know you've got some as well so yeah, by all means, if you've got a question for, uh, for any of these magnificent folks, there's a microphone right there in the corner that you can come on over. That way we can all hear you. And while everyone thinks, oh, where's my question? Am I going to go first? Oh, my gosh. I, don't know. Um, I will fire. Oh, here we are. Ah. So for, the, well, for those of us not in the industry, and you guys serendipitously landed in your roles, how do you go about becoming a voice actor? Like, is there a school you can go to? Are there lessons you can take? Do you have to have an agent that's going to go to bat for you? Mm-hmm. How do you so basically, how do you become a voice actor? I don't know to? how you do it today. That is the honest to God yeah. truth. Because when I broke in, I, 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 it was available. Yeah. And I was already an actor. I was already in the union. It was available. I don't know how you... I know there are classes. I know that. I just mm-hmm. don't know how good they are. Honestly, I don't know. Well, I, I wish I could help you. Yeah, yeah, I, I wish I could help you too. Um, I think Noel actually will back that up as well, that spirit up. But anyway, so here's the thing. Um, you know, I mean, my, my, you know, just the little bit I know about today's voiceover world. Um, first of all, you do certainly need to put together a reel. That would be the first thing one would need to do. Why? I mean, if you either have any credits at all, of course, any credits little snippets, short snippets, everything short snippets, 10 seconds, five seconds, three seconds, little tiny snippets thrown together, maybe one minute. One minute. One minute. 
you know, if it's on camera, one minute and 30 seconds is sort of okay. But one minute of a reel, which you put together a bunch of what you vo- if you have a vocal variety, a variety of vocal things, um, or if you're pushing just one thing. That being said, um, ultimately, they also have listings of agents who actually take voice tapes. And now I understand you don't have to pound the pavement and deliver it. No. Now you send it. They don't want you delivering it. Yes. Years <laughs> ago, know. it was, they didn't want you delivering it years ago. But when you, they said no visits, no phone calls, I, I ignore it. And you go and sometimes you get in and they say, oh, come on in. So it's just a way of discouraging the, the, the dreck. <laughs> <laughs> The unwashed That's not the word I meant to use. <laughs> but, the, you know, the and, and, and anybody good or, you know, consistent, you know, they, they want those people. So if you actually show up and ignore, sometimes it works out good. But in this day and age, it looks like they really would like it for you not to show up. But the, that being said, so you send it over there and then maybe do it that way. But I just want to say something to anybody that's looking for the voiceover kind of thing. Not to be the voice of death, all right? Um, The thing is, if you're looking to do voiceover, a lot of times, if you're an actor and you want to do voiceover and you want to act, but you figure you got a good voice so you would like to do voiceover, then by all means, try. uh, Always try, because my story is, you know, sort of a shot in the dark that I got in. I didn't have any previous experience doing voiceover other than a few commercial things, not nothing much to inform me in that direction. But generally speaking, the whole industry has taken on a terrible thing for workers. Basically, the way it works is now, and I, Aladdin really did this uh, to a certain extent. Robin Williams, God bless, we love you, but you kind of messed us up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> because suddenly now Robin Williams sold, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of movie uh, income for the studios. And it was like, at that point, it all started, it was already starting in that direction anyway. But now it's like the stars, it's like now this cartoon, the animated feature, even on television, starring Nathan Lane and, and, and Cameron Diaz and Tom Hanks. And these are people that so don't need the money and are sort of, you know, slumming it for fun so they don't have to put on makeup and just relax. So we sit and we have reality talks with each other about our motivation. And, and you know, generally speaking, I'm alone in a, a voiceover, you know, happy to just deliver my lines and they slot them in. I mean, that's the way it was with me. My point is, is that unfortunately, they've now become the top tier. The big voiceover artists who were specializing in voiceover, who got the bulk of the work, got bumped down to a second tier, which means people like me, who scored on one nice juicy thing and are trying to do more, have gone down to the third tier. So any crumbs might come to me Fact. if I push it. Yeah. So somebody starting have gone down to this amorphous fourth tier. Yeah. So it's it's daunting in the voiceover world, not 
acting world, it's always it's all daunting. But as acting, you stand, I believe, a better chance of getting on camera than getting behind camera. I think it's absolutely <coughs> true. For the first 20 years of my career, I was right up there. All of a sudden, the stars started coming in, getting the parts I used to do, and then I get bumped down. Fact of life, and very, very, very hard to break into. Uh, that's just a truth. If you do it, yes. Mm-hmm. And try, because you oh, might do, oh, yeah. score. If you have fire in the belly about it, do it. If you don't have fire in the belly, if you think it's something you think you might want to do, you probably won't. And, yeah. And I feel like one of the most interesting things, to back up those points, is that, and of course you've all heard this before, that we now live in an age that if you want to make a thing, you can make a thing and put it out there. There's, yeah. there's almost make no excuse thing, to not. Right. And yeah. that's almost the best way to just start doing it. Like, if, if we took a step back when we were talking about reels a second ago and you say, like, but I don't have three five-second snippets or whatever, like, it's okay. You, you fi- it. find a script that you like or a commercial that you think is funny. And people or that, you might that be able to do, do this for you, you have to pay, but people do this. They'll put together, they'll sure. create uh, fictional commercials for you with soundtracks and thinking and everything, and you put that, that's your reel. You and have to pay money for it, but yeah. A lot of people don't even know they're fictional. Just because you don't recognize right. a product. You don't know if it's not a real yeah. product. They're selling it in Montana somewhere, that's right. all. That's right. right. Just rattle off all those warnings about death and <laughs> you can take this product that's and that's it. That's someone's job, <laughs> absolutely. Someone's job. Absolutely. Um, and before we leave this entirely, as you were uh, talking about, oh, absolutely, we're going to get to you. He's, he's going to wear out his legs. He's been standing out there so long. No problem. Um, uh, I, I really appreciate what you're saying about some of the the not that some of the celebrities coming in aren't aren't great, but like when you watch the the credits to an animated movie, a Pixar, Disney, or whatever, we'll we'll get near the bottom of the list, or it'll say additional voices Bye. at the end. Boy, now an additional read voice. read those voices. That's gold. There yes. are so many amazing, talented Bad people in there yeah. that if if you've Bad been paying attention long enough, you see the names and you're like, oh, that's why that two line scene with you know, that van Absolutely. in Cars 3 cracked me up yours. because that person is solid gold. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. right. Without further ado. Yeah. Chris. Um, I was wondering if uh, each of you could talk a little about uh, working with directors, like how a good director has enhanced your performance or if you were dealing with a bad director, how you dealt with that. That's a great question. Great question. That, yeah. you want to... Um, yeah, it's like, well, sometimes when um, you get like a project and they, they say, oh, like, we, like uh, we want to put a puppet in this. And so it becomes this sort of education of like educating them exactly what that means. And, or like there was like um, back in the, the glory of the 80s when there was TV commercials with, with puppets in it. And I remember um, I got the, uh, the part of being Bloomingdale's had this like white teddy bear called Bloomy's Bear. And it was going to be a commercial for it, and they wanted the they wanted like a voice for Bloomy's Bear, and so I did this like one voice, and then I was like sent it in, and it's like yeah, could you do this? Could you do that? Basically, it came down to, and you guys probably heard this, I'll know it when I hear it. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah. then I like played along until then I finally went back and did the exact original voice, and I said, oh, that's it, that's what we want. And, <laughs> Like okay, <laughs> take, one. take one, right? Yes, yes, exactly. It's like that's it. <laughs> it's it's my my work 
in working with directors that aren't very good or aren't very specific or, or want to show off and be showboaty, because that happens. My work has been to be as calm inside as possible, smile warmly, and give them whatever they need. My work is not to be a pain in the ass. That's the truth. I would say that 90% of the directors I work with are perfectly competent to brilliant. So really, most of the time they know what they're doing, but there are those few who maybe they slept with someone or they're somebody's brother or they're just starting out and thinks it'll be fun, you know. Them, you ha I have to be very, I have to be kinder to them than they're being to me. I really do, and that's just fine. What do I have to prove? Yeah, I mean, the thing is regarding directors in general, I mean, this is a very pressurized thing for them, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm an important voice in Courage the Cowardly Dog, right? But they got a million other things. They got all these other things to do, and they only have so much time to get this, you know, log in these sound bites that they need to do to create a, you know, to create a, you know, fulfill the demands of a script. And right. a, um, but, what, you know, one of the things that I find, you know, in much the spirit of what Noel had said be, before about going full circle, is that sometimes you think, well, you know, this should be pretty, this line should be really easy. They should just plow through this. And, you know, they will sometimes get stuck on a thing. You know, where they will just say, you know what, try it this way. And I'll say, great, okay, fine, try it this way. I even, I'm one of those actors that don't mind if you give me a line. Some actors don't like when you give them a, when you don't, they don't want to be, don't give me a line reading. You know, yeah. I couldn't care less if you give me a line reading. <laughs> because you know what, if you say do it like this, da -da 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 -da, I will take the line, the way you read the line, and I'll go, oh, he wants it that way. So I'll kind of do it the way you did it, but I'll make it sound better than the way you just made it sound. <laughs> that's my general thinking, so I don't care about that. But I had a director at one point, a vocal director, and he was a great guy and he really did a good job, but sometimes he would get overkill. So literally, it came down to this. This line. Hmm. That, that line, he said, okay, so, so courage, courage is very, his head is popping out of, a, out of the ground and, and he's <laughs> frightened, but also anticipating the next thing that's happening or that he has to get out of the forest. So, hmm, no, no, try it this way. Courage, you know, I need a little bit more, hmm, hmm? No, more, more like a question. You know how many times I did, hmm? About 35 times. I swear to God, this was the strangest thing. And it went on and on and on and on. And I talk about keeping calm. And I was not calm inside. Like Diane just said, our job is to stay calm inside. My job, my job was to scream inside and then outside the disparity being respectful and nice on the outside, that particular conflict. So that can happen. And sure enough, after the 35th one, his answer was, well, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll have it. Yeah, somewhere in there. In other words, it somewhere still wasn't that it, it was, he was happy with it, but we got to move on. It's, and you, you know, you get that this is one of my favorites. Ugh. You've been hit. There are so many ways to be hit. Oof. 
you know, who did it? You know, and think, it's a long thing. Is it painful? Is it the, you know, and we go over and over and over. Oh, and goodness. pretty much that's what they do. They'll take all the ones that you gave them and then they'll apply them in post and see where they, where they work. But they, you have to give them all the choices. Yeah. We have to go, huh? Not, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I got a sign. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember when doing the Hide a Bear, we did merchandise and we would like do like, you know, um, toys or games. So going in and getting like a script for like a, a game was like this thick because you yeah. had to have mm-hmm. all these choices for a video game. And then just like, you know, if they click something and it's not right, you know, you would have to say like, no, 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 nope. It's just like, again, <laughs> and then have to do the opposite. Yes, 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 yes. It's just like, and it starts to wear on your brain <laughs> about an hour <laughs> saying these things like four or five different ways. And you're only like on page four. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that, that's true. That the, uh, the, not the seedy underbelly, but the monotonous underbelly. I've done a smidgen of voiceover in one was a video game where indeed it was just like being a wizard character at listing points. Yeah, 10 great. points, 20 great. points. <laughs> and you just do that for yes. 45 minutes, just numbers. 90. You have a great voice, man. Well, thank you. Thank you, Marty. Um, he's got a great voice, too. That's my segue. One, one more question. Dave. Okay. Yep. Uh, this is for all three. Uh, what influenced uh, some of your signature voices? Oh, yeah. Was, was there something that, uh, that inspired a little bit? Diane, you spoke a little bit about this before, that, that Ivy, for example, was a little sexy and a little intelligence and yeah. Which are the two things I'd done most. So, you know, I mean, in, in commercials. And you in know. life, come on. You know, I also did a lot of high, nice mom ladies, you know, and, and selling JCPenney, you know. I, I did those, so they, they were all in my in my ba- in my bailiwick or my neighborhood or whatever when I got to Poison Ivy. I think she is the signature voice. Sure, I've done I've done about twenty cartoons, but that's the one that you know sticks. Yeah, yeah. Nice props for Poison Ivy from the house. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wish I, I I had a more you know like a. This is kind of you. This is sort of <laughs> yeah. It is kind of me. Kind of me actually. It's very good that you said that. <laughs> you gave me an answer that was richer than the one I was about to give. I appreciate what that. What can I say? And shorter. Yeah, and shorter. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Hey, oh. Thank God he said it. <laughs> yes. Anyway, hard to know, you know, what it really, you know, sometimes just something comes to you, and it's not modeled after anything, but maybe after the sum total of your experience and... You throw it out there and you hope it works, you know? Yeah. Didn't <laughs> yeah, for mine, with, like with, with a bear, like I said, when it came in, it's like, use your own voice. So I just like modified it to have this sort of warmth in it. And then to maintain it, because we ultimately did like 118 episodes of the show. Wow. And so to maintain it, because the way the show always started, and we always start the day, is like bear would open the door and like, invite the, the kid in, which is like the camera. And so, and this is what I uh, told uh, other puppeteers when they, because uh, I've trained puppeteers for the international versions of Sesame Street, is that the camera, when you look at the camera, that is not a camera, that is a kid. And that is a kid who has never seen this show or this character before. 
And so for me, that always kept it fresh. So as soon as I opened the door, I was talking to a kid who had never seen this character and just wanted to like include this kid in this new adventure. Mm. And the other thing that I learned was like smile. It's like when you're smiling, you can hear the smile in someone's voice, which I've not only used for like, for like Bear and my puppets, but also being put on hold and like dealing with like, you know, <laughs> AT&T or like the repair, just like, so, <laughs> it's like, just checking in, when are you supposed to come? <laughs> it's just like, and so it's just like, keep it in, in, in um, when I trained uh, um, puppeteers, like one of the exercises, like putting your arm up and like, you know, counting to 10. And afterwards, I always ask like, was it a close relative? Because all I hear is one, two. Because they're so busy trying to focus, trying to keep the lips. It's like they're so into one, two, three. And I say, smile. It's like, relax. It's like, have fun. Ultimately, it's supposed to be fun. It's like doing a voice for a puppet, doing a voice for animation, doing for even for like a commercial. It's like, keep it fun. Because if you're not having fun, the person receiving it is not going to be pleased with it either. So Amen. make the most, especially, yeah, especially when you've got a script that is death and you've got to find the fun of it because uh, like it happens like every now and then on like puppet show like on sesame street you'll get a script that's just the worst and you really have to find the fun and so that's when like doing improv comes in handy because we'll like throw in things sometimes we won't even tell the director we'll just do it anyway we'll just like throw it in <laughs> while the camera's rolling <laughs> Nice. I, I like that. I uh, feel that's probably a, a wonderful place to conclude. Just the notion of you've got to have fun with it. Absolutely. Amen. If there's going to be any longevity, um, because there's going to be high points, there's going to be low points. But if you're enjoying what you're doing, then uh, then that's the way to start. And that goes for all of you that were asking questions as yes. well. Yes. Um, yeah. Keep that keep that in mind. That's that's what's going to take you in the long haul. Um, thank you again so much for joining us. Let's hear it one more time for Noel McNeil. <laughs> Diane Pershing and Marty Grabstein. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks again to my guests, Marty Grabstein, Diane Pershing, and Noel McNeil. If you need more of these folks in your life, all three of them can be found and followed on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks also to the awesome folks at the Garden State Comic Fest who put this collection of people together and put mics in front of us. Dave O'Hare, Sal Zerzolo, and Eric Palomo. Thanks so much, guys. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means so much more to me than you might know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? and what deserves to be erased from existence by a mad titan wielding an infinity gauntlet. You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. They are the 1.21 Geekawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Geekawatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Geekawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Gigawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121gigawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. 
And if you're not already aware, every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section at the iTunes store. It is so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. You know what I'd really appreciate? Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good one, on iTunes, which will help more people find the show because that's how computer algorithms work, apparently. And then we all make some new friends, introduce some new listeners to the fun we're having here, and that would make me so, so very happy. It will take 30 seconds and could make such a difference to the team behind this podcast, so please do it. As for the rest of you, if you're not an iTunes user, you can also find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com or on Player FM. You found us on one of those platforms, so congratulations! Browse the episodes listed there and check out another one. And you know what? I'll even make a recommendation. If you enjoyed this chat with these voiceover professionals, you should check out our episode with Lauren Lester, the voice of Robin and Nightwing on Batman the Animated Series, and so many DC-related projects over the last 25 years. That's episode number 19 of 1.21 Geekawatts. Put it in your podcast queue now. Huge gratitude to the officiant of the oscillator, composer and my co-producer, David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's Nerd Rock Band H2Awesome with our radtastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. gigawatts whatever geek wants is what we got from doctor who to aqualad you might meet luke and leia's dad pop culture that is super rad hosted by some guy named brad it'll rock you to your nylon cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts you're just one big forgiving doormat aren't you Doormat. Am I? If you had a middle name, it would be welcome. Oh, but cheer up, kid. You just need some lessons in good old female self-esteem. In other words, let's play with the boys on our terms. <laughs>